Welcome to Mind Love, episode 63. Today's episode is all about building healthy habits and practical weight loss. The thing that drives my choices and the decisions I make about my self-care is what I think and what I want. And anything that somebody says that starts to touch a nerve on me, and there are, all, there are always those things, it gives me an opportunity to say, do I want to be someone who has shifts in my own mental state based on somebody else? Because then I'm never stable. If you can upset me, then I don't have the stability that I want to have. And so one of my mantras is, I am my mood maker, not you. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Mind Love is a Castbox original. You can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcast, but Castbox is pretty awesome, so I hope you'll give it a try. And tap that cute little button that says subscribe. More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. Plus, I'll really appreciate it. Hello, friends. So I have to tell you guys what happened to me this week. I've been doing yoga around 11 years now, so I definitely have a yoga routine. And I tend to do things in the same order when I'm going to a morning yoga class. So I put on my yoga clothes, I pack my bag, fill up my water bottle, and then I get to yoga and I put my bag and shoes in a cubby, lay my mat down, put my mat towel on top, and I practice in a sports bra and yoga pants because a shirt in hot yoga is just too much. So I take my tank top off and then go grab a block in the back of the room. I turn around and I suddenly realize that... As I'm staring at this room full of 20 plus people, I forgot one critical step in my routine, and it was to put a sports bra on. So I'm standing there in front of everyone like a deer in the headlights with my tits out. (laughs) I finally quickly turn around, grab my top, and I'm trying to put it back on, but because of the way I took it off, it's tangled. So I'm just standing there topless trying to untangle my tank top with these Tyrannosaurus Rex arms because I'm at least trying to hide my nipples with my biceps or something. It was pretty mortifying. My heart was pounding, which is just kind of funny because if it was some sort of hippie type gathering, I'm the first one to go topless. Well, maybe the third, but this just was not the time or the place. I ended up having to buy a sports bra from the studio, which of course is like $65. And then I had a whole hour long yoga class to wonder what the hell just went wrong. How did I miss such a crucial step in a routine I've been doing almost daily for 11 years? There's a delicate balance when we create routines. On one side, they can be really good at putting some tasks on autopilot so that we can free up focus for other things. They also create a structure, and they help us get the momentum going before we've taken action on harder things. They help us create new habits that start to become a way of life. But there's this point where things become so routine, so much on autopilot, that they lose some of their benefits. And then there are the routines that we never really consciously created because we just 
held on to them since childhood, and it's just a part of the way we do things now, and we don't really know why. And we don't really know if, or I should say how, it's affecting us. So regardless of where a routine came from, anything that we do repetitively needs a little bit of awareness from time to time to make sure it's still serving us and to make sure we're not skipping over some of the most important parts that are going to be for our benefit. Today's episode is about a practical way to create new habits and break old ones. We're talking about weight loss, and I don't really love that word choice because I think we get too caught up on the scale. But I termed it that way because I know that that is what a big portion of us, especially women these days, are specifically looking for. We just might be looking for it in the wrong places or the wrong ways. But as you'll hear in this episode, the problem is rarely our knowledge on what is and is not good for us. We tend to know that. It's our mindsets around creating change and our emotions and even our hormones that get in our way. And after my yoga incident this week, it's the perfect time for me to bring a little bit more awareness into my own routines. So our guest today is Elizabeth Benton, the creator of Primal Potential. Not long ago, Elizabeth was depressed, deeply in debt, and obese, over 350 pounds obese. Her deepest desire was to lose weight to get her life back, even just to get around without losing her breath after a few steps. She realized that if what she wanted more than anything else in the world was to lose weight, then why was it that so many of her actions were sabotaging that goal? So she started to change the way she approached her goal. Instead of learning more about nutrition and different weight loss methods, first she needed to learn more about herself and what was driving her behaviors. So whether you struggle with your weight or you struggle with breaking some other bad habit, which I think we all do, this episode is a practical approach to habit change, building healthy habits, and taking control of your body and your life. So three key things we will learn are how learning can actually be a form of procrastination, how our beliefs about ourselves shape our behaviors, and a practical, accessible way to start building better habits. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the best way to stay in your highest frequency between episodes. Thousands of listeners are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power so you can start each day with your best mindset. Just go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of powerless based on proven methods from the most successful people in the world to automate your highest decisions. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set with a binaural frequency known as the miracle tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. Then it's layered with affirmations to perfectly tune your frequency for transformation. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 444-999. That's morning to 444-999. And now let's welcome Elizabeth Benton to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So to get started, give us a little background on your story. Absolutely. So I am a New England girl. I live on Cape Cod, which is in Massachusetts. And I just released a book that is based on my struggle. My struggle is largely related to my weight. 
I like to say that I was the token fat kid born into an otherwise really healthy family. So I was a big kid, heavy baby, just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And for most of my adult life, I weighed over 350 pounds. And I wasn't apathetic. It wasn't that I didn't care or that I was obsessed with food. In fact, kind of the opposite was true. I was obsessed with the idea of weight loss, completely consumed by it. So much so that in addition to like a lot of people, I tried every diet in the world, but I also left a scholarship that I had in college for Latin and Greek to study nutrition because I was so sure that if I just knew more, that that would change me, but it didn't. And in fact, the more that I knew about nutrition and fat loss, the worse I felt about myself because I wasn't doing it. And so my work now, not specific to weight loss, but it's really about creating change. Because what I learned in the process of losing well over 100 pounds and paying off six figures in debt is that learning more is how we've sort of evolved. And I'm sure you see this a lot, especially in the podcast world, that we love information and it's easier now than ever to get it, but that's not what creates change. So that's sort of a little bit of my passion and my background, really helping people, including myself, maybe most importantly myself, get out of their own way and create whatever change that is, whether it's related to money or it's related to finances or it's related to health and body weight, just creating change. I love that concept because I think we all can relate on different levels of that, whether we struggle with our weight or not. Because I know for a long time, even just with my goals, I would buy new courses and I would read more books. And it was almost another way for me to numb because I thought I could still feel productive while learning this, but I never actually had to put anything into action. Well, you just nailed it. It feels productive to learn more. And so when we want to create change, we give ourselves credit for effort because we're learning. And if we read a book or we listen to a podcast or we write down our goals, we check that box, pat on the head, I did something good, and we can fall into this really false sense of productivity, this false sense of achievement because we are learning, which is very, very different from changing. We grew up in this academic model where we read and then we take a test. And the more we know, the better off we are. But the learning model is so much different from what almost all of us are after once we get out of academia, which is changing. You're right. And then the more we know, the more we inevitably feel like a failure because then we know even more things that we're not doing right. So it's this vicious cycle. Yeah, there's this widening gap, right? The more we learn, we've given ourselves credit, but then we are so much further from all the things that we now think we should be doing. You're absolutely right. There was a time when I was young where one side of my family was kind of collectively gaining weight. But the other side of my family was 
athletic and thin. So I remember just waiting to see which one I was going to be. And it ended up messing with my head a little bit. I know you said you grew up in a family of tall, thin women. So how did it feel being kind of the black sheep of the family in that regards? Well, the gene thing is absolutely a part of it. But I think I gave that way too much credit. And I won't go down the rabbit hole of epigenetics and our ability to turn on and off our gene expression through our lifestyle. But what the real struggle was for me personally was that my mom had a lot of shame that she expressed verbally and through her behaviors around having an overweight and then obese child. So that's where, for me, a lot of the shame developed and the hiding and the sneaking and these extremes where my mom would have me on a very, very, very strict diet and I would have to weigh myself in front of her every single morning. So when I wasn't around her, I was like hoarding food because there was not just a perception of restriction at home, there was very much restriction at home. Uh, She had me in Weight Watchers as an eight-year-old. So I'm going to Weight Watchers meetings that are full of women in their 40s and 50s. And I'm there with my mom, who's just my guardian, and she's not overweight. And it was shame. You know, you hear, and this was, you know, many, many, many years ago. But at that time, my experience was Weight Watch with Weight Watchers as a kid was a lot of very unhappy, depressed older women who felt shame about their size and had all these negative associations with food. So I had this restriction example at home and this shame and embarrassment and negative example in the Weight Watchers meetings or when she had me see dietitians and things like that. That is where a lot of my hiding, sneaking, binging behavior came from. It was hard. It was really hard. I ran cross country because my mom wanted me to get more exercise. I came in last every single race all through middle school while my sister came in first. That's funny. I also joined cross country so that I could regulate my weight. So, (laughs) And I wish that it had been my decision. It wasn't. I used to hide in the woods and then emerge later so that I didn't have to run. And And I think that too, it took me years to fall in love with movement to appreciate it instead of seeing it as a punishment because that's what it felt like to me. But yeah, it was really, really hard. Well, looking back, knowing how your mom handled you gaining weight, what do you think is the line between promoting a healthy lifestyle to your child and possibly doing something that could affect them negatively their entire lives? This is such an important topic. And I'll be the first to say that I do not have the answers. I certainly have my experience and I work with a lot of moms now um, and I've worked with some children as well. The biggest thing that stands out to me is not making food about weight and not making weight about weight either. But with food, what makes you feel really good? What makes you feel really energetic? What makes you feel good in your body? What do you love? And having eating well be something that is positive and not punishment, same thing with movement. Having movement be something that is fun and not punishment, whether that means going to a trampoline park versus forcing your kid to run cross country or or whatever else. I think it takes a lot of different shapes. But the number one thing 
for parents or for anybody who has an influence on kids is to be an amazing example of taking great care of yourself for the sake of taking great care of yourself, for the sake of feeling really great versus for the sake of, I need to lose 10 pounds, I'm on a diet, oh, I look awful in these pants. Those kinds of perspectives are not only good, are not only not good for the adults, they're certainly not good for the kids. I've always wondered about people who studied nutrition in college because I look at college as this time where my views on nutrition were just so warped. I was doing the yo-yo diets. I was obsessed with how my body looked because I was partying in skimpy clothing all the time. But I also would be totally fine eating lean pockets every single night. And I actually tried the gummy bear diet. <laughs> I remember thinking, <laughs> this is genius. Gummy bears have to take at least 30% as long as gum takes to digest. So I'm going to be full forever. And they have zero fat. <laughs> it was like a cheat code. So I guess what I'm asking is, were you as jaded as I was in college? Or was some of this nutritional information starting to seep in at all? Unfortunately, I think formal education lags 20 to 30 years, really. So when I was learning about nutrition at the time, it was the food pyramid. So if it was if it was sinking in, it wasn't really different from anything that I knew of up until that point. Because even as a sophomore or junior in college, I had been on every diet, I had been to a bazillion nutritionists, I had worked with personal trainers. So as far as general nutrition understanding went, I was pretty well informed. And then a lot of the nutrition education is about dealing with, you know, sick populations. So, you know, taking care of people who are hospitalized and who can't eat solid foods and things like that. So I can't say as much as I wish I could, since I spent a lot of money on that education, I wish I could say that that was like a game changer. But really what was true is that it was part of the problem. Not understanding hormones, not understanding physiology, not understanding fundamental things like hunger, but rather focusing on starch and seeds and all of this stuff that misses what I have found to be really critical foundational elements of taking great care of yourself, which is paying attention to how you feel, which is really knowing what satisfies you and what doesn't. What is psychological satisfaction versus physical satisfaction? Where does hunger arise and when does it really signify that your body needs more fuel? When I went to school, they weren't teaching any of that. I don't know if they are now, but they certainly weren't then. That was an aha moment for me with bulimia. So with bulimia, it was interesting because I was kind of trying to tackle two different sides of this fight. I didn't have a lot of real nutritional knowledge, but then the only time that I really felt good not purging, like felt okay to keep down my food, was if it was under about 800 calories a day. And the moment it got a, a little bit over that, then I would start noticing every bite and I would already be planning my purges. So I was starving myself and then wondering why I had no control over binging at certain points. So I would mm. feel so good about this amount of willpower I, I would have for a couple of days. And then it was like my body couldn't handle it anymore. It didn't have enough calories in it. And so I would purge and then feel like a failure again. So I think that hunger part, we overlook a lot of the times because we don't 
develop those relationships with our body and we're just beating it into submission. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And for me too, differentiating between feeling hungry and feeling empty. Because a lot of times... I wasn't hungry. I was lonely. I wasn't hungry. I was sad. And even before I knew what to do with those different things, just knowing that they were different things was such a powerful starting point. And then from there, working with my body instead of against it, differentiating between a distraction and a solution was huge. So when did you finally start to realize, okay, it's not about my knowledge about nutrition. It's got to be something more. How did you start to go deep enough with the problem to even figure that out? It's so hard to find a bra that fits me well. So when I tried Third Love, I was blown away. Third Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind, using millions of real women's measurements. And yes, breast shape actually matters when finding a bra that fits. Third Love has 70 cup sizes, which is double what most brands offer, including its signature half cup sizes. You can find your perfect fit in 60 seconds with Third Love's online fit finder. You just order and try on at home. They also have a 100% fit guarantee. So I ordered a bra and a lounge top, and the lounge top was a little bit small. Third Love actually text messaged me to see how my orders fit and then processed my return via text. It was amazing. My bra is hands down the most comfortable bra I own, and it's even tagless. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash mindlove now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mindlove for 15% off today. How did you start to go deep enough with the problem to even figure that out? 
I wish that I could say there was one moment and there were a series of big moments and there's one that stands out to me that I will absolutely share, but I think I would be discounting what it will take for everybody to create change. If I didn't mention that, you know, this was accumulation of years and years and years of, of wanting it, of thinking about it, of making mistakes, of feeling upset, of letting myself down, of starting and then starting again, and then starting again. But the big thing that maybe if I had to pick one moment that stands out, I had told myself for so long that I was just unmotivated, right? That I was just the fat girl. It was a metabolism thing. I was an emotional eater, all of this sort of stuff, right? But what struck me one day is that I wasn't this lazy slob that I told myself I was. And I was driving home from work. And for some reason that day, it just became suddenly clear to me, you're actually a really hard worker, Elizabeth. If you were really this unmotivated slacker, then you wouldn't be the first one showing up to work every day. And you wouldn't be the last one to leave. And you wouldn't be a person that people go to when they have questions and when they need to get things done. So I asked myself, how is it that I can be so motivated, focused, and hardworking at my job when I care so much less about my job than I do about weight loss? Because if you had asked me then, what do you want most in your life? What matters to you most? I would have told you and I would have meant it that what mattered to me most was to lose weight because I was over 350 pounds. I was miserable. I was isolating myself. I was depressed. And at that moment, I realized that if I told myself I sucked at my job, if I told myself that I was unmotivated, if I told myself, eh, I'll get there when I get there, that I wouldn't have been good at my job either. So a big part of my success in my job had nothing to do with talent or knowledge, but rather I just decided like I I go in early because that makes me feel good. And I stay late because that makes me feel good. And if I had told myself anything different, then my results would have been different. Yet here I was saying, I'm just the fat girl, really great at losing weight, terrible at keeping it off. I'm an emotional eater. And sure enough, my life reflected that story I told myself. But the challenge was I didn't believe, I couldn't have told myself then, I'm healthy and I take great care of myself because it wasn't true and it had never been true. But I just decided for one single day, I can show up that way. For one single day, let's just try it. Let's just see what happens. One day, tomorrow if you want donuts on the way to work, get donuts on the way to work. But just for one day, see what happens. And so I started to tell myself, I have one good choice in me. Instead of, this is awful, I'm so fat, I can't do this, I'm never gonna do it. It was just, I have one more good choice in me. And honestly, it started as simply as that. It reminds me so much of what you hear in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not about giving up drinking forever. It's about just this next choice, just this one day. I'm not drinking right now. And one of my best friends just lives by that. And whenever I start to get overwhelmed with anything. She brings it back to that simple concept of it's not about this whole road in front of you. You're going to feel the weight on your shoulders if you keep focusing on that. It's about this next action and then the next one and then the next one. And that all accumulates and snowballs into a big change. 
And I always get that question too. What was your turning point? What was the catalyst for everything being different? And I'd like to say there was one too. It makes a way better story. It makes a way better TED Talk. But for me, it was so many small things, so many times where I was doing some of the things right, but I was doing most of the things wrong. So it wasn't like I just one day got up and got my shit together like someone who can wear a white t-shirt all day long without staining it. I've never understood that. In truth, it was messy and it was small tweaks and small tweaks until over years, it built up to my current healthy lifestyle. And over years, it built up to a new way of thinking. So it was a dance between planting a seed and then taking an action and then planting another seed and then taking an action until I really started to prove to myself that change was possible. Because I started to see the results of these tiny actions building upon one another. Well, one of the things that I hear all the time related to that is that people are overwhelmed. And whether it's you want to get out of debt, you want to save money, you want to overcome an eating disorder or lose weight or anything, the reality is that we only, only exclusively feel overwhelmed when we're focused on anything other than the only thing we need to focus on, which is what we can do right now. So if we're focused on how far we have to go, or if we're focused on all the things we've done wrong up until this point, we're overwhelmed. Of course we are. But none of that is what is required to create change, which is simply winning the moment you're in. But you can't even see the opportunity to win the moment you're in if your attention is on how far you have to go and how long it's going to take and how many things you're going to have to say no to or say yes to, or if you're beating yourself up for everything you've done over the last 25 years. So every time I would notice my attention totally freaked out about how long it was going to take me to lose 150 pounds and what I would have to do, I would just, okay, I'm not there. That is not how this happens. This happens right here, right now, today, the next 10 seconds, the next 30 minutes. And that's when I would come back to, I have one more good choice in me. Same thing when I would beat myself up over, well, you've done this before and you've tried this before and you've, you know, what's different this time? Okay, right here, be where my feet are. I don't have to deal with that. That's not relevant. That is not a part of this equation. All I have to do is win the moment I'm in. And in those moments, and there was tons of them and there still are, when I make a choice that doesn't get me what I want, it's gone. Now I'm in a new moment and all I have to do is win the moment I'm in. Yeah, it just, it's just such a simple concept, but it really is the solution because we do, we get so caught up in what we, we regretted about our past actions and what is coming at us in the future. And none of that has a bearing on the now unless we let it. Right. We hear about the power of now and we hear about coming back to the present moment and it can seem like, such a woo-woo concept. And I'm not knocking the woo-woo because I love the woo-woo, but <laughs> it really is the solution to getting out of our heads because the now is the only version of reality that doesn't live in our heads. Well, and here's the real problem. And I think part of the reason that people dismiss it 
is because they've heard it before and our brains are tuned into novelty. We're looking for something new because we think that the solution lies in a thing that is new. So when we hear something familiar, we're like, yeah, yeah, we write it off because it's not novel. We gloss right over it. And so I'm always challenging myself and challenging my clients not to dismiss familiarity, but to allow it to be an opportunity to say, okay, yeah, but is this mine? Meaning, am I living it? Am I practicing it? And if I'm not sure, well, then how can I practice that concept that I'm like, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Let's not dismiss the familiar. Let's use it as an opportunity to say, wait, do I have this? Have I practiced this? Not sure. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. So what can I do with it now? I feel like we're at such a brink of technology that there's just so much new scientific knowledge coming at us all the time. But a lot of us are jaded because we've lived through these fad diets, you know, the gummy bear diet and fat-free cookies and Atkins, and it's still happening. Like, The carnivore diet. If anybody is listening and is following the carnivore diet, just stop. Just stop right now. (laughs) But at the same time, we are gaining all of these scientific resources to find out new knowledge that we didn't know before. So it it's between differentiating what's some ridiculous fad and what is real information that we should be listening to. Even my own stepdad is like, oh, organic is just a scam most likely because he saw one headline and then people want the confirmation bias that, oh, I don't have to spend extra money on organic food because I read one thing that says it's a scam. Anyways, I have a lot of thoughts on some of these matters, so you can feel my passion seeping through. But I'm wondering for you, how do you discern what information is worth listening to and what isn't? There is one thing to listen to. And it's your body. Because if we rely on every expert's opinion, and I use expert loosely because really in 2019, if you have a voice, if you have a hand, if you have a computer, you have a platform. If we rely on that, then we'll forever be in like, I don't even know what's right. What's the point? But the fact is, our bodies will give us reliable answers every freaking time. So for example, if I'm one of those people that says, I mean, vegan, I don't know. Everybody says that that's like the thing, but then somebody else says it's, should I be a vegan? Well, do it and see how you feel. See if you're a female, see what happens to your energy levels in your menstrual cycle, right? See what happens to your body composition, regardless of your gender. See what happens to your sleep. See what happens to your hair. See what happens to your skin. All of those things, your body will give you the answers and it will change. So what was true for me three or four years ago is different for me now because my body composition is different because I'm older. My hormones are different. My lifestyle is different. My stress level is different. But the fact is, we look outside ourselves for somebody to tell us what to do, when in reality, the best they can do is either generalize or tell us what's true for them. What I do with my clients is I empower them and teach them how to find the answers that their bodies are already giving them, but we're like, shh, hush, I, don't, I know you're hungry, but let me, let me read up what somebody else says about that. I feel compelled to interject here because I am a very passionate vegan. 
And when you decide to go vegan, it's not always just for health reasons. That was the catalyst for me going vegan. But what also comes with being vegan is understanding the impact that you're having on other sentient beings and the rest of the planet. It takes 2,400 gallons of water to produce one pound of meat. Global farmland could be reduced by more than 75%, which is equal to U.S., China, the EU, and Australia combined and still be able to feed the world. A vegan diet keeps being shown as the single biggest way to reduce your impact on the earth, on this planet that we live in. And that's not even getting into the pain and the trauma and the torture that these sentient beings, these living things that many of them are smarter than your dog, have more emotions than your dog, and you picture your dog in these extreme conditions and it's heartbreaking. But why do we think that cows and pigs are so different? And when you consider the fact that we already know through so many episodes that trauma lives in the body and then you're ingesting meat, which is one of the most complex compounds to digest for the human body, from an animal who not only was killed in a way that genuinely caused a shock of trauma through their entire body, but that's how they lived their entire lives. We want to think that it's not going to affect our own hormones. And I'm not even getting to all of the hormones and antibiotics that they were fed throughout their lifetime. So yes, while I do believe in listening to your body, I also believe in doing what is right for the environment and doing no harm. It's a yogic principle called ahimsa. So when you try a vegan diet and you are listening to your body and there are some changes, know that there's going to be many little tweaks that you can do to make sure you are getting a full balanced diet. I highly recommend an app by Dr. Greger called Daily Dozen. It's spelled in one word and it helps you get all of the daily nutrition you need, whether you give up meat or not. I strongly and passionately believe that you can get all of the nutrition that your body needs on a plant-based diet. You just have to make sure that the diet you are consuming is balanced and comprised of real whole foods. And I know this rant is not going to be the popular opinion because based on statistics alone, only about 2 to 3% of you are going to be vegan. But I built this show, so I also built the soapbox that I can stand on for a minute. <laughs> And I just love all the animals. So thank you for listening. I'm so glad you brought up the component of self-love because I've always looked at my story as this messy thing. Most people have their one catalyst that sprung them up from their rock bottom, but I had so many. So it's really hard not to look back on my story and wonder, what was wrong with me? Why did I allow myself to get so low, to be duped in so many ways? But having the show, Mind Love, has actually been such a blessing in just helping me work out parts of my story and find that common denominator between all of my trauma. And what it came down to was a lack of self-love. It spiraled. And so in all of these decisions, I was cutting off my connection with my body, with my mind. I was always reaching outside of myself to fill myself up, whether it was through food or drugs. And when you do that, 
it's so much worse than just not nourishing your body. It's that I didn't have any sort of relationship with myself. So asking my body what it needed was impossible. I couldn't feel signals for my body if I wasn't holding down my food and if I was taking prescription drugs and regular drugs. And so the biggest part of healing from the inside out has been developing that relationship with myself and being comfortable with sitting with my thoughts. It's like having a roommate for years, but never actually having a conversation with them and realizing four years later that you don't actually know anything about them. <laughs> and so why would you think that you know yourself if you've never had an internal dialogue or asked yourself what you needed or know your own triggers? Well, and I think too, we spend so much time trying to run away from ourselves, resisting our bodies, resisting our emotions. And so this idea that perhaps we have the answer that we've been searching for in every other outlet for so long can be like really foreign. And also, where the heck do I start, right? And I am, I mentioned I'm from New England, which what that means to the outside is I am a straight shooter. I am the least woo-woo, hippy-dippy human you will ever meet in your life, right? I'm definitely not like burning sage and all of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm as type A analytical feet on the ground as they get, which might surprise a lot of people who listen to my podcast. Eh, probably doesn't. But what I really do to practice this is as simple as noticing when I'm hungry and when I'm not, right? One of the things that I get on soapboxes about a lot is this idea that we have to identify the right thing for us as if it's a religion, like this type of meditation and this type of yoga or this type of exercise, right? Like we're a CrossFit person or we're a Pilates person or we're, you know, whatever. Same thing with nutrition. I'm a vegan. I'm keto, blah, blah, blah. But it's not this, it's not a cult. It's not a commitment. Every day our needs are different. I do CrossFit and yoga. Some days I don't eat meat and a lot of days I do. Some days if somebody looks from the outside, it might look keto and other days it might look, you know, more like zone. But the reality is that when you're paying attention, which doesn't take a lot of time, it just takes practice and a desire to look inward more than you look outward, meaning hearing what your body is communicating to you instead of relying on other people, we realize that things like our hunger is different day to day. So all of these people that are so committed to this idea of these are my macros or this is how many calories, it leaves no room for the fact that as your hormones fluctuate or your lifestyle fluctuates or you got in a really hard workout, our needs are different. We don't have to commit to one thing, be it a mindset philosophy or a workout philosophy or a nutritional philosophy. Our bodies are really, really great at letting us know what they need and what they don't need. And we feel that in our energy and our hunger and our cravings. We feel that in our mood. We feel it in our energy level. And my passion is not telling people what I think and giving them my answers, but teaching them how to find those answers for themselves, from themselves, because that is the most accurate source of information you could ever hope to get. So what I'm about to say has come up with me with intuition a lot, but I think it very much applies here. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot mindlove. When I first started to listen to my inner wisdom... It was really hard because the voices in my head were loud. So there's this differentiation between what we really want and what we need. And in the beginning of trying to make big changes, this discernment is one of the most important pieces of actually changing your lifestyle. But that's the point when it is the hardest to tell the difference between those two voices. I have such an addictive personality that I can start getting cravings for the weirdest things. And it has nothing to do with what my body is telling me I need and everything to do with what my body is expecting me to do next. So if I have a morning routine of making a green juice, I start wanting that green juice so bad that if I don't get that green juice, it changes my mood. And as healthy as whatever it is I'm craving is... That mindset is not a healthy mindset to have because it's not having full freedom. It's being a slave to your own addiction. So what was your experience trying to break old habits while creating new ones? That's such a good question. And it actually is also the answer because I really have found that questions are the most powerful tool in my life. So the way that it started, it's just simply asking questions like, how am I going to feel about this after I make the choice? One of the worst feelings for me have been those days where I wake up in the morning going, why the hell did I do that? Usually related to overeating, right? I can't tell you probably most of the mornings in my teenage years, in my 20s, in my early 30s were marked by waking up going, damn it, that wasn't worth it. Why did I do that? And so simply asking myself, how are you going to feel about this choice in two hours? How are you going to feel about this choice in the morning? And sometimes was, I don't know, fine. But then if later you don't feel good about it, then it's like, okay, remember, you know, you said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah having Mexican food tonight, you'll be fine. But three hours later, you're like, why did I do that? That wasn't worth it. And that was another question I would ask myself, is it worth it? If I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? And do I want to make that choice? I would ask myself those questions and leave room for the fact that I was also learning. 
right? So I had a lot of experience with frustration and guilt and shame that I could draw on. My past suddenly became this rich source of information. We know when we're snowing ourselves, right? I'm working on a podcast right now on the difference between rational lies and rationalize, right? We would, I would tell myself that I was like rationalizing this choice, making a case for it and talking myself into the fact that it was actually okay because I was going to do better tomorrow or, you know, I was going to um, start on Monday, whatever it was. And so I would just start to be really honest, like, is this true or is this familiar, right? The answer isn't always the truth. So I just developed this list of questions to ask myself, and I didn't go through all of them, but and, and there would be weeks where one question seemed to be more powerful. And then another week I'd be like, oh, I don't know, I don't care. And I would, just, and so I'd be like, okay, time to change the question. This one isn't really landing for me anymore. But I just had these wicked simple questions like, is it worth it? If you say yes to this, what are you saying no to? And I developed a toolbox of questions that I still use every single day to help me take great care of myself. And because, you know, we know how to talk ourselves into anything. And so these questions are how I check myself and stay really truthful about the logic I use to make choices. I love that your teaching method is based on questions because mine 100% is too. Right now, I have a group of about 70 people going through a 30-day mindset transformation. And every day is one level deeper of self-inquiry because someone can give you the answers all day long, but it's not going to permeate your mindset block in the same way as if you come to the conclusion on your own. So it's interesting what happens when there's something that we even know on the surface level, but until we sit with that point of logic, until we sit with it and ask ourselves why it's there and ask ourselves what's to be learned from this, it won't necessarily have a change on our behavior. And we have more wisdom than we think we do. I look at it as we have all of this knowledge that we've learned. But if we are willing to ask, we have access to more universal knowledge. So you still should be setting aside time for reflection to ask yourself if there's any information that you're blatantly ignoring and if there's any new information to be learned from a past situation or from a current state of emotion even. Absolutely. And the truth is that every single one of the choices we make is driven by the thoughts that we think. And yet the change model that so many of us are familiar with is just change the choice, but the thinking remains the same. Well, it's the thinking that leads to the choice you make. So if you don't change the way you think, you will not change the way you act because it's our thoughts that drive our choices. And so I find that questions are the way that I could start to think differently and explore what else is true. I tell this story about, actually it wasn't that long ago, uh, around Thanksgiving time. It was a particularly stressful season of life and I had to go buy a bunch of stuff to bring to my family Thanksgiving. So I had like, you know, chocolate chip, banana bread and all this stuff around that I wouldn't normally have. And for whatever reason, in my mind, I'm thinking, screw it. Who cares? I'm just going to eat this stuff. And like once Thanksgiving's over, you know, I'll be back to my normal routine. Right. So I used a very simple question. What else is true? Because yes, 
it was very, very true that I genuinely wanted to eat all of this stuff. And it was also true that after Thanksgiving, life would return to normal and it was going to be a few days that were out of my normal routine. But what was also true, the other part of that truth was that I don't want to be that girl anymore. That I wouldn't feel good after that. That I wouldn't wake up the next day and go, mm, so glad I did that. It was completely worth it. So just taking 10 seconds to say, yes, it is true that I want to eat that. But what else is true? That instantly made it easier. And I didn't have to rely on willpower or discipline or self-control. It was just thinking differently. Yeah, that is true, but there is something else that is as true, if not more true, and certainly more valuable. So how much weight have you lost since you started to change your mindset? Around 140 pounds. And I, and the reason that I'm kind of like, eh, I don't have a scale. So I know my gene size, and I know how they feel, and I know how I feel in the gym, and I have no desire to get on a scale because to me, it's really about... You know, I, I place my hand on my belly when I wake up in the morning, I make a couple fists and I can feel the result of the previous day's choices just by paying attention to my body. And that's enough for me at this point. That's definitely a healthier way to live. I hate the scale also, and I do not have one. I just felt like there's there was a time in my life that I became a slave to it. But our body weight fluctuates for so many reasons that have nothing to do with how much we ate, especially as a woman. So now I just have too much love for myself to ever put myself through that again. I'm wondering how have your goals changed from that girl who was 350 pounds that was just getting started to the person that you are now? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me this because if I could get inside the brain of every person who wants to lose weight, I would tell them this. Weight loss does not come with a side of happiness or confidence. I believed that if I lost weight, I would be happier, I would be more confident, I would be all of those things. And, and if you would have told me then that it wasn't true, I wouldn't have believed you. But everybody knows somebody who doesn't have a weight problem and is miserable. Everybody knows somebody who has lost weight and put it back on. Everybody knows somebody who has lost weight or doesn't have a weight problem and has no self-esteem whatsoever. So I always like to differentiate between external goals and internal targets. When I wanted to lose weight, it was a symptom of all the things that were not satisfying me. But what I found as I lost weight, because initially it was really just about food and it was just about the weight and oh my gosh, yay, I'm losing weight. Meanwhile, I isolated myself further. I felt just as insecure. I still had no self-confidence and my marriage fell apart. And I wish that I had learned this so long ago, which is probably why I'm so passionate about it and I could talk about it for the rest of my life. I probably will. Those internal targets, we have to identify them and we have to pursue them separately. So for me, my goal now, and one of the reasons that I'm like, I don't care what the scale says, because my goal is not a number. My goal is a feeling. I love how I feel when I'm taking great care of myself. And I know what food choices do not line up with taking great care of myself, right? So that is 
one of the questions I ask myself in the morning, what does it look like to take great care of myself today? What does it look like to show up as the best version of me today? And that's what drives my choices. Sometimes that includes a celebratory tequila shot because the Patriots are going to the Super Bowl, but it doesn't include eating a whole pizza and pledging to start tomorrow. So my goal now is, am I taking great care of myself? And what I want in my life most is connection because your size four pants won't hold you at night. You know, they won't make you feel fulfilled. So I am much more connected now as a daily goal, more of a process goal than an outcome goal with things like, am I building relationships in my life? Am I taking great care of myself? How's my energy? Do I feel rested? Do I feel chaotic and frenzied or am I calm and excited about life? And those questions are such an important part of it because they guide the process goal, which is a daily goal, not about what I'm going to eat and how much I'm going to eat. Those things kind of take care of themselves when I am really aligned with those bigger process goals. I love that you have connection in there because that's a component that I think is so important and sometimes undervalued. I noticed when I was in the darkest pits of my bulimia. And I would get in relationships that were good, but then I would subconsciously pick fights. It was like I was sabotaging the relationship because as much as I hated this part of my life that had taken control, I also didn't trust myself to let it go. And I really didn't believe that I could. So I remember specifically thinking, I'm never going to get married because how do I let this go? And how humiliating is it going to be to have a husband who constantly watches when I go to the bathroom to make sure I'm not throwing up my food? I was dealing with that enough with my mom. So it was just easier to cut off deep connection, which is so sad when I think about it. But mine was so much of a secret. Like <laughs> I wasn't going to tell anybody who's going to kiss the girl that already vomited three times today. Sexy. <laughs> so I'm curious how did binge eating get in the way of your relationships? Oh my gosh, I could cry just thinking about it. While I didn't know it was the problem because I blamed it on my weight, I felt the most profound loneliness most of my life. And I told myself that I wouldn't feel it if I wasn't overweight that the loneliness was because people didn't want to be friends with a fat girl or guys didn't want to be with a fat girl. So the loneliness was there, but I didn't understand that quite honestly, the loneliness was my fault. I chose to isolate myself because I believed that I wasn't good enough because of my weight. Anybody who feels that is, it's not true. Um, and so I didn't connect with people. So then when it really hit me hard was when I had lost over 100 pounds and I had no friends and no marriage. And I thought, well, I guess losing weight wasn't the whole thing, was it? And at first, my sense was blaming other people like, well, I don't have girlfriends because girls gossip and girls, you know, are mean and, and I don't have a relationship for all these other reasons. 
But the truth was, I didn't make it a priority. I had my head down with my work, and my only priority for years and years and years had been weight and obsession with weight and work. And I had to say, uh, Elizabeth, <laughs> you haven't acted like relationships are a priority, and so you have none. So every day now, I challenge myself to connect in a meaningful way with three people, and they cannot be the same person from the day before. If you're dealing with really anything, I think it can be a lot more difficult to make meaningful connections because you're drowning in your own crap. So there's not a lot of room to hold space for somebody else. And that's such a big part of friendship or relationships. So I just remember, I mean, some of my hardest times in my 20s feeling so hopeless because I didn't have these deep connections and I knew it was my own fault. A lot of times when things would get too hard, I'd just move cities. So I just remember looking on Facebook and seeing old friends from college that were still best friends and being in each other's weddings and being the godmother of each other's kids. And I had lost ties with everyone because I was too ashamed to let anybody see me on that personal level. But once you go inward, you start to realize piece by piece what your soul is really calling for. And you rebuild one step at a time and it doesn't happen all at once. So you have to be patient with yourself and, and kind to yourself and all the things that love is, but shown to yourself. And then once you start to change, that's when you become the magnet for other people who reflect your own worthiness back to you. But all the outer change starts inward. So I think it's just interesting because we don't always automatically think that our connections to other people, that our, our focus on what we want to change in our relationships with other people starts with the self, but everything really does. Yeah, it, it has been probably the single biggest priority shift and transformation that I had to make. So I feel weird even saying this, but when I was just full-blown bulimic, I used to be really envious of other people's eating disorders. So with anorexia, I barely understood how people could be anorexic. And I was really jealous of the amount of willpower they could have. I was just like, this would be so much easier if I could just not eat altogether. But with people that would just overeat and they wouldn't purge as much, in the very beginning of my eating disorder, I would almost look at them as weak. It's like, why didn't you just take that extra step to purge? Which gosh, this is the only time I've ever said this out loud. So part of it just feels wrong. But later on, I actually felt envious of them because I started to really realize how harmful all of my purging was on my body. I started to get these visions of getting esophageal cancer or colon cancer to where I had a feeling that this was going to happen to me. So I'm curious, what were your thoughts about other eating disorders? Or what do you think was the difference between you and I where I would take it an extra step to purge? Oh, I absolutely purged for sure. I just never really labeled myself, maybe because it wasn't a consistent thing. Um, I don't know. I guess I never really thought about kind of like I don't really think about labels of, of ways of eating now because I just don't think for me it didn't matter. The only thing that mattered 
was that I wanted to change. And the details of it and the periods of restriction or the periods of purging or the periods of whatever, it just, it didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was it's not how I wanted to live. One of my biggest mind fucks was that I feel like when I was in the least healthy behavior from my peers, I would get the most compliments about how great I looked. So it started to really mess with me because I realized that the damage I was doing to my body wasn't sustainable, but now I had this image to uphold. But then I'd see my family members and they would say I was too skinny. So no matter which side I was getting it on, it would always send me into another cycle. So I loved what Carrie Otis said in episode 25 of Mind Love about just never commenting on people's body types. Instead, give them compliments about their glow or the where they carry themselves or anything other than their weight or how thin they are. So I'm curious for you, how did the people around you affect your self-image when you were trying so hard to make these big changes? You know, I'm so glad that you brought this up because everything that people say that gets under my skin is my work, not theirs. And it gives me an opportunity. Inevitably, people comment still weekly on what I eat or what I don't eat, on my size, on my, doesn't matter. And it has nothing to do for me in my practice and the work I do with my clients with what they've said. And it's all about the meaning I attach to it. And if we are people who feel like, well, you can't say this to me because I'm going to react this way, or this is the kind of thing that upsets me, then we don't, we, our emotional state now hinges on everybody around us acting right. And as soon as somebody says something that triggers us, we now don't have our control. So the reality is you can tell me that I look like I've gained weight. You can tell me that I've looked like I've lost weight. You can tell me that I shouldn't eat that, that that's actually unhealthy, or you can comment on the fact that I rarely drink. Doesn't matter to me because the thing that drives my choices and the decisions I make about my self-care is what I think and what I want. And anything that somebody says that starts to touch a nerve on me, and there are, all, there are always those things, it gives me an opportunity to say, do I want to be someone who has shifts in my own mental state based on somebody else, because then I'm never stable. If you can upset me, then I don't have the stability that I want to have. And so one of my mantras is I am my mood maker, not you. Now, am I perfect in that practice? Far from it. But every time somebody does something that upsets me, it gives me an opportunity to say, I am my mood maker, not you, because I don't want to go through my life at the whim of everybody else's sensitivity or lack thereof. I love that. It reminds me of The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. One mm -hmm. of them is don't take anything personally. And he just asserts that everyone is living their life according to their own dream. And he uses dream in the sense of their reality. So we're all seeing the world through our own lens of experience and what we personally have to deal with. So when somebody is projecting something on you that has everything to do with them, no matter how much they're trying to make it about you, it all comes back to realizing that we're here 
to fully discover our own authentic selves. And the more we focus on what society thinks we should do or what the cultural norms are or what is considered cool or the standards of beauty, the further away we're going to get from what's going to really light our own fire. Our generation is just so afflicted with FOMO. I mean, there's a reason that our generation had to coin the term. It's because we're constantly looking at everybody else and what they're doing, what they look like, what they can afford, and somehow perceiving that as a loss on our end when we never had it in the first place. FOMO is just such a funny thing because it inflicts us in so many areas, including food. Fear of missing out really comes when we're not considering both sides of the equation. So for example, I go out to eat and I don't want to miss out on wine with dinner or, you know, everybody's having cake at the office and I don't want to miss out on the cake. But there's always another side to it, right? Going back to one of the questions that I shared that I asked myself, uh, if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? And there's always two sides of the equation. And so we work in that chapter on thinking in complete thoughts versus thinking in incomplete thoughts. And I don't want to miss out on this indulgence or I don't want to miss out on the sale on the shoes is an incomplete. It's certainly part of the truth, but it's not the whole version of the truth. And a lot of my experience comes from when I was spending more than I was making, when I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was telling myself this story about not wanting to miss out on going out, you know, for dinner that weekend or not wanting to miss out on taking a weekend away or with food. I didn't want to miss out on, you know, the donuts in the office. But meanwhile, I was missing out on a peaceful life. Meanwhile, I was missing out on feeling amazing. And so thinking incomplete thoughts, what are you really missing out on when you continue to say yes to the momentary indulgence, whether it's food or anything else, and know to what you want most. What have been some of the blessings and the curses of making your journey so public? <laughs> uh, yes, there have been hardships and blessings. And uh, I'm so grateful for both sides of the equation. I decided to go sort of public with it and and make a platform to share my my struggles and my successes. I was working for a dietary supplement company at the time and uh my role in part was to develop dietary supplements and then travel across the country teaching people about it. Well, I had been in that role for a few years and so people had seen me lose a tremendous amount of weight. And inevitably what would happen is they would say, "Elizabeth, what products are you taking?" Because I developed dietary supplements and, they, and we had a weight loss line and I wasn't using it. And so over time, it became for me personally, a conflict because I wanted to do right by the company that paid my bills. And I had a lot of respect for them as a business, but I also wanted to maintain my integrity. And so I decided that really the only fair way for me to share my story, and I had this burning desire to help people avoid the struggle that I lived with for so long, um, that wasn't just about weight, it was about depression, and it was about isolation. And it was about missing out on years of my life that I won't ever get back. So I decided time to share. And sharing meant leaving that job. And uh, it just evolved from there. And the blessings Oh, well, if personally, it's been very healing for me and my mom. Um, a lot of my 
weight and food issues started at home as a little kid and my mom coming from a place of love, but also a place of judgment and shame and maybe doing some things that, that in hindsight she wished she hadn't done. And uh, sharing has been very hard for both of us, but it's also been very healing for both of us. And then just the thousands of people who listen to the podcast and now who are reading the book that say, you've helped me set myself free. Uh, there's, there's no value I could place on that. But it is hard to live very publicly. Um, and while there is a lot of public judgment and public criticism and, you know, people getting really close inside your life, I try to use all of those things that maybe push my buttons a little bit as an opportunity to be a better, stronger version of myself. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I love your compassionate approach to body issues and weight loss. So for listeners who are resonating with you, where's the best place to connect with you online? Probably my podcast. So my podcast is called Primal Potential, and it's in all the typical places, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or primalpotential.com. Um, podcast is free. I release two episodes every single week. I've had the podcast for um, almost five years now, so you can stay busy with that. And uh, also, I've got a new book that just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's called Chasing Cupcakes, and you can find it on Amazon. I hope you guys liked this episode. I just love Elizabeth's approach. It's so practical and simple and accessible. I think sometimes we overcomplicate things and we think that we have to read a hundred books on a topic before we can actually do anything about it or make a change in our lives. But sometimes it just comes back to getting down to the simplest of the basics and really going inward. Everything starts with ourselves. All change starts with ourselves. This episode already went over, so it won't take up much more of your time, but all the links in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 063. If you've been getting value from Mind Love and you haven't yet subscribed, please hit the subscribe button now. And also tell a friend, family member, coworker about it. You guys sharing the love is really how Mind Love grows and allows me to offer even more value. To stay inspired between episodes, sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com or text morning to 444-999 and visit me on social at Mind Love Podcast. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 